Hello and welcome to Loose Narrative, a celebration of camp in cinema. Each episode we watch and dissect a cult classic film in order to determine what makes a movie truly and successfully campy. This week we're discussing Caged Heat from 1974. I'm your host Christoph Bakula and with me as always is my radiant co-host Chris Lane. Hi Christoph. <laughs> Hi Chris. Hi. Chris, do you like a loose narrative? Oh, I love a good loose narrative. <laughs> so, also, I love a good tight narrative. Ooh, I'll take a narrative any way it comes. <laughs> um, I think this would be a good chance to talk about how we came around the title loose narrative. Oh, yeah. Um, we went to go see the performer Love Connie. Mm. Favorite. Uh, a favorite of ours. Uh, John Cantwell plays a drag character, or should I say a skag character, <laughs> named Love Connie. And we went to go see him perform at Casita del Campo in Love Connie 2 Electro Boogaloo. And it was an interpretive dance performance that was an ode to women in prison films. That's right. That's right. Most notably, the Ilsa films. Yes. So, you know, this one I think was loosely based on the she, like the the harem one. I can't remember. It's set in the Middle East, right? Yeah. I've seen Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS, and I've seen The Tigress, which is also an Ilsa film, but I haven't really seen that Ilsa film. So many Ilsa films to discuss. <laughs> we unfortunately are not discussing an Ilsa film. No. But once we left that um, show that was known to women in prison films, um, Chris said that he loved a loose narrative. And I had already been percolating on the idea of starting a podcast. And it was the perfect title. Um, it was some, like a marriage. Yes. Some might say that the title doesn't necessarily tell you what the premise of the podcast is but to those people i say you don't get the you don't get the beauty of camp no i mean if you know camp then you know a loose narrative exactly and today we'll be discussing how loose the narrative of caged heat was mm. so to start us off i'm gonna read the synopsis cold from i am db.com. That's right, cold like prison steel. <laughs> so it goes like this. In a woman's prison, a group of inmates band together to combat the repressive and abusive policies of the warden. What do you think of that synopsis, Chris? I mean, it sums it up perfectly. That's exactly what yeah. happened. I want to add on to this because I actually own this movie poster and there's some really, really great lines on this poster, I guess, sort of log lines. Women's Prison USA. Rape, riot, and revenge. <laughs> White hot desires melting cold prison steel. I mean, so opposite of what this film actually was. Yeah, exactly. it's such a feminist narrative in many ways, and the marketing clearly was trying to capture some sort of male gaze. Oh, absolutely. As most women in prison films of the time were. I mean, in the early 70s, this was clearly a very common genre. It was a very popular genre. Yeah, it was a, it was a resurfaced genre from the 50s. 
um, which, you know, uh, Susan Hayward was in one of the more seminal women in prison films. I think she was, I can't remember if she was nominated or she won an Academy Award for being a prisoner in a women in prison film called I Want to Live. And in the 70s, it was brought back, most notably by Roger Corman's studio New World Pictures. And people ate it up because they were horny. They really were. These movies are very horny. It's a lot of topless women. Yeah, even bottomless women. (laughs) That is true. There is some 70s 70s bush in this. (laughs) Um, It sounds like we're already getting into Chris Lane's history corner, so I think it's time we dig a little further into the nooks and crannies of this movie's history. So let's pay a visit to Chris Lane's history corner, shall we? Oh, welcome to my corner. (laughs) Um... So, this film was directed by Jonathan Demme. It was his first film. Um, And he was working for Roger Corman at New World Pictures, and he had previously produced two other films for Roger Corman, including The Hot Box, which is another women in prison film, I believe. I actually don't think I've ever seen The Hot Box. Um, But... But again, as we stated, there's a lot of hot box in this film. There is a lot of hot box. (laughs) Um... And I don't think that Roger Corman was exactly thrilled about this. By 1974, there had been so many other women in prison films that Jack Jack Hill had made two of them, The Big Dollhouse and The Big Birdcage. Um, and I think probably by the time 1974 rolled around, Roger Corman probably had women in prison fatigue, was not very supportive of it. Jonathan Demme had to raise his own funds to produce the film. And then eventually Roger Corman agreed to distribute it via New World Pictures. So it is pretty fascinating. It was on a very obviously cheap and tight budget. It was like $180,000. And it shows. But it, you know, in actuality, the cinematography um, is, I think, phenomenal. Absolutely. Um, The cinematographer was Tak Fujimoto, who later worked with Jonathan Demme again in the 90s in Silence of the Lambs. So for what is essentially a bad, you know, sexploitation film, the cinematography is beautiful. And um, you had mentioned to me prior to filming that this was sort of a satire of the genre, despite also fully having a foot in the genre of a woman in prison film. Yeah, it's 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 not really... It, it is It definitely is a satire, but it also is not like a extremely funny satire exactly like like the big dollhouse is is also a satire but that's like a really funny funny satire this is like very serious like it plays on all the tropes that you find in a women in prison film but it's making like a real statement about the objectification of women in some ways absolutely right I mean, there were still some broad comedy pieces, which we'll get to. Yes. But yes. Um, yeah, you really end up you really end up feeling for the women. You really end up rooting for the women. Um, and with despite the fact that it is a campy good time, it um, leaves you with that message. Yeah. So um, I think we should mention that we watched this film on an app called Tubi. Oh. T U B I. Our which, new favorite app. Chris. Describe to me how you describe Tubi. Tubi, Tubi is, um, essentially, it's a free movie service, but you have to be okay with watching movies with um, interjections of pasta sauce commercials. 
<laughs> yes, so it's a free movie service with commercial breaks, mostly for Barilla pasta sauce. Mmm, so delicious. Mmm, speaking of delicious, you know what I like in my pasta sauce? A little bit of meat. Ooh, So let's yum. get into the meatiest part of our podcast, the probe into the plot, where we break down the narrative of this movie beat by beat. All right, so here it goes. <laughs> we start at a motel, and a guy comes out of a car. He's wearing a Hawaiian shirt and checker print shorts, looking really skeezy. But we find out that he's actually an undercover cop. And three people run out of a building. A shootout begins. Um, two of them are shot. And one woman survives but is caught by the police. And we learn that this woman is the actress Erica Gavin, who we discussed two episodes ago on our Beyond the Valley of the Dolls episode. Um, she played Roxanne, the um, fashion designer, the lesbian fashion designer. Isn't it great to see her again? Yeah, right? <laughs> I love that only three episodes in and we all already have recurring characters, definitely recurring themes, and I think we'll be touching on that more as we go. Um, we are given the most offensive title treatment I have ever seen, maybe. I mean, it was electrifying. It was electrifying. It was literally like <laughs> when a moth gets caught in an electric bug zapper. That's right. And it, and it came up as, as, as Erica was being read, like, it's almost like she was being read her Miranda rights, but they skipped over that and they just went straight to her sentence. Yes. Absolutely. 10 to, 10 to 40 years, minimum 10, maximum 40. <laughs> So then we cut to a blonde woman having a dream in a prison cell. I don't know which. There were several blonde women in this movie. I didn't pick up on which blonde woman this, this was. This blonde woman, I believe it was the character's Belle Tyson. Her name is Roberta Collins. Okay. Right? And it's it was a very, very sexy dream. She, it was a very sexy dream. So it starts with her kissing a man through the bars. Yeah. Then she's facing her back to him, and he's groping through her through the bars. Implied penetration, I'm assuming. Implied. Well, she's also holding a giant knife. Like well, a, she pulls it out. She pulls it out. It's a cartoonishly big knife, like from a like a children's play. No way. You don't know the knives that I have. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is the first in many dream sequences we see in this movie. Um, we cut to outside. There's a lot of cinematic panning shots um, of the women to open the movie with the opening credits. Um, we see a conversation between two women, which we find out are named Pandora and Belle later in the movie. They are two of our leads. Uh, we're introduced to, to them by a comedic bit in a comedic bit in which. Belle tells Pandora that she once saw a man go up to a machine called Wife Away From Home, and he stuck his John Hancock in it and ended up with a button sewn on the end of his dick. <laughs> it's so confusing because John Hancock normally means like your signature. signature. But I guess because a penis is like a... Pencil? And yeah. You use a pencil to sign your John Hancock, so therefore the penis must be the John Hancock. But also, what would you, what would be dick shaped, but also accessible to sew a button onto? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what, what article of clothing are you shoving <laughs> into a dick shaped orifice? I don't know. Anyway. Listen, I'm not a seamstress. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we are then introduced to a fat prison guard uh, named Bernice, who leads Erica Gavin, who plays Jacqueline, and a couple of new inmates out of a truck into processing. And then they are told by a mustachioed doctor. I never got his name, so we're just going to call him Dr. Mustache. Dr. Randolph. Dr. Randolph. But okay. he, yeah, he's this very not looking kind of exciting slash kind of quack doctor. Yes. Right? So he's he not a sexy doctor, but he's kind of quacky. Yes. So then he tells the woman to take their clothes off, which is very woman in prison trope. Yes. They all take their clothes off, and then he tells them they're, they're going to be performing calisthenics. So we're getting early <laughs> While on. While he's smoking a pipe, too. Yeah. Oh, yes, he's smoking a pipe the entire time. <laughs> he uh, says they're going to do deep knee bends for openers. <laughs> what does that even mean? Like, to make them, just to check to see if they have narcotics, right? Yes, yes. Narcotics and weapons. But we are just being hit across the head with the messaging that this guy is a creep. He's a pervert. Yes. And that is going to be a recurring theme throughout the movie. So, um, we next, never actually see the calisthenics. Luckily, we are. No. We cut to Erica or Jacqueline um, sitting down at lunch with um, Pandora and Belle. Uh, that lunch looked disgusting. <laughs> I mean, it looked like it was like some sort of Neapolitan ice cream <laughs> with some sort of green bread. It just looked so nasty. <laughs> I mean, that sounds delicious to me, but to each his own. Um, so they also, Then they have a conversation about one of the inmates going crazy from claustrophobia, which I think they mean she was thrown into sol- solitary confinement because she was having nightmares at night. Right. Um, which is also a precursor to solitary confinement being a theme in this movie. Um, which we then cut. We cut from them to having this conversation, and then Pandora... Is looks like she's masturbating. It's uh, yeah. I I wrote down. We cut to a butch woman rolling dice in a sexual manner. Yes. <laughs> so at first it lo- just looks like she's masturbating, right. but then we realize that she's rolling dice. So this is Pandora, <laughs> and her and Belle are are gambling. Ooh, snake eyes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then across the prison, we meet Juanita Brown for the first time. Um, Juanita Brown plays a character named Maggie. And she is not a great actress, but she has cheekbones for days. I I love Juanita Brown because she's also in Foxy Brown and she plays Pam Greer's prostitute sidekick. And I, she is a horrible actress, but there's something so... I don't know. Like, I'm just drawn to her. She just has this, like, I just want to know what's happening inside her head. She's so rough around the edges that you believe that she's that person. Yes, absolutely. That's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So she realizes her smokes are gone. She (laughs) goes into Belle's room, immediately rips off her top looking for her smokes. (laughs) As as you do when you're you're looking for your belongings. You rip off the clothing of... Of your inmate, of your fellow inmates. I yeah. mean, if I'm hiding cigarettes, I'm putting them in my, I guess, my area where I, I'm not wearing a bra. Like, why do you need to rip open a blouse to find <laughs> cigarettes? No idea. I, I also wonder, so we can talk a little bit about the clothes in this movie. Are, do women, so, you know, in like Orange is the New Black, they wear like 
jumpsuits, right? Yeah. Here they're kind of just wearing their own clothes, but there are some just interesting fashion choices happening. At one point during a panning scene, we see a woman in a furry hat. Um, and not just furry, like an actual like fox fur hat. Yes. <laughs> Juanita Brown in prison wears like an off-the-shoulder red crop top with <laughs> silver musical notes all over it. And I'm like, who's, right. who's allowing these, these choices within the prison? Bell-bottom jeans. <laughs> and like, I don't know. I, I don't know that no, uh, enough about women's prisons, but like... I, don't they have to wear a uniform? That's what I would think, right? Yeah. I mean, my great-grandmother used to be a warden in a women's prison. Really? In yes. I think that's maybe why I'm drawn to women's in prison films, because, I mean, there's... Your family history is a family rich connection. with women in prison. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't... I would assume that they would be wearing uniforms, but... Yes. Especially with how strict this particular prison is. Seems loose to me. So, um, Maggie ends up finding her cigarettes under Belle's pillow mattress. Her mattress. I, I don't, I don't know what the purpose of the scene really was other than to get her topless, but. I think it's maybe just to show like Juanita's power over the women. Got it. I think so. She's because the she's head bitch in charge. Y- yes, she is. So then we get another dream sequence. This time it is Jacqueline. And she's sleeping. A man stands over her. Who is dressed like Beau Jest. Like he, <laughs> right? He like, look, he is like in some sort of Moroccan. Yes. Um, desert army wear, right? Correct. He, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what that choice was. Because then he, she, he kisses her. She goes off with him into the hallway of the prison. But then they're not, he's not wearing that outfit anymore. No. He's wearing, like, a zoot suit or something. Yeah. She has a feather boa and aggressive eye makeup. And all of a sudden, they're making out, and then a group of people comes towards them, led by a priest, and he had some, like, forceps in his arm? Yeah, like a forcep clamp situation. I don't know what it was. And he attacks her with the forcep clamp thing? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it looked like it's, it's like the one of those things that you grab like a baby's head out of when yes. it's like a birth. I don't right? know what the, the, the technical name is. Um, it, or, and I don't understand what the purpose of this scene was other than to show that, again, she's very horny in this prison because horniness is a theme in these movies. Yes, it is. Um, so the following day, Jacqueline, Pandora, and Belle are entering... The grounds for agricultural therapy. Another <laughs> recurring theme in this movie. I think I need that kind of therapy. Right? Yes. Just picking some apples. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could go to, like, upstate New York and do that. Yes, I could. Maybe I should. <laughs> um, we learned in the truck that Pandora is in prison because she cut off a man's balls with a broken glass bottle. Right. What did she say? He didn't need him anyway? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> but that kind of, that kind of just, in, that scene is meant to introduce the agricultural therapy of it all. And I guess just give a little background on her character. So in the next scene, the women are all in a room um, for a show. <laughs> and we meet the warden, played by Barbara Steele. Um, she's in a wheelchair and something unique about this movie is that the evil warden is played by a woman. Yes. 
Um, so then the curtains open and Pandora and Belle are doing this kind of comedic drag performance. As drag kings. As drag kings. Um, a lot of dick jokes. We cut to the audience. The prisoners love it. The staff is very offended, of course. And except for the creepy doctor with the pipe, who is loving it. Um, he is titillated and amused. Yes. HR Puffin stuff. (laughs) And then there's a scene in their little show in which um, one of them gets a giant boner made out of a sheet, which was actually pretty funny. Um, But this, you know, everybody starts, the audience goes wild. The warden is very mad. Um, So we cut back to the warden's office. But wait, can can we just, can we, there's one joke that I absolutely am obsessed with that was mentioned. Is that okay? Absolutely. And it's, what's a gift you give a girl who has everything? Well... The answer is that's easy. Penicillin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I I I just totally glossed over that because I missed that joke. I might have been writing too fervently. I mean, I absolutely love that joke. I think I'm gonna use it like I love it so out much. of the bars. Yes. <laughs> um. So then, because of their their amazing humor, um. The two women are being um, reprimanded. Reprimanded, um, and we find out that Barbara, not Barbara, yes. Yeah, so Barbara, Barbara goes still, back yeah. to her office, and she lies down on her sofa on the sofa. We don't actually see her transitioning from the wheelchair to the sofa. And as a physical therapist, I don't really know how she she pulled that off, but she um, did it. I'm a, I'm a regular physical therapist, not a corrective physical therapist, which we will be discussing later. Um, so she has a dream in which she wears a top hat and like um, a bejeweled rhinestone bathing suit top. Right. Some shoes with like little red fuzzy balls at the end. She's she got a, a cane. cane. Yeah. Yes. And, and she's kind of doing a little cabaret number about how the women are evil because they're you're sexualized and how she needs they need to repent in order to be healed and this is like in a staged women's bathroom yes right and all the doors in the women's bathroom are colorful and yeah. she's like coming in and out of them just bonkers bizarre stuff so this is the point in the movie when that when Pandora and Belle are being reprimanded That's by right. the warden um, and they're being too sexual, and they found some nudie pictures in Pandora's things, so Pandora is thrown into solitary confinement, not, of course, before she is stripped down, so she is just in this padded room, completely butt-ass naked. <laughs> um, then we go into the classic women in prison shower scene, and we get several of these, but this is the first... Um, and we get a lot. We get a lot. We get a lot of bush. Yeah. Um, so we see the women lining up. Um, Maggie, played by Juanita Brown, has huge nipples. I guess Juanita Brown has huge nipples is the way yeah, I should phrase that. She does. She, she has big saucer nipples. Um, just something of note. <laughs> um, so then she threatens Jacqueline in the shower uh, once they're out of the shower and dry, then they start having a physical altercation and they tumble back into the shower, fully clothed. Yeah. 
for, for such like a horny movie, that seemed like a missed opportunity, but. I mean, I think it, 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 it allowed for, um, for Belle Tyson, who's played by Roberta Collins, to do that escape, right? Because she, yes. she was trying to get out. So, I, you know, it allowed more time for her to try to, I guess, unlodge oh, right. that, 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 um, that air vent so that she could eventually, the next time that they go into the shower scene, that's later in the plot. But she was trying to just queue up, you yes. know, a, a, a possible, not escape, but like a, tr- a transfer of goods to Pandora. Yes. So while the women are showering, Belle is sneaking through the vents into the staff kitchen to get food for Pandora, which she then later throws into solitary confinement. That's right. Um, so the women obviously get into this fight in front of the warden, um, but they somehow get off with just a slap in the wrist at this Yeah, that point. was nothing. Yeah. Um, then Jacqueline has a conversation with a girl named Lavelle about how she murdered a guy. Um, the most significant thing about this scene is that the actress playing Lavelle is named Rainbow Smith, spelled R-A-I-N-B-E-A-U-X, which I think is brilliant. Yes. Um, so then we get another scene of Belle crawling through the vent in the woman's bathroom, going through the pipes. Um, she steals a strange number of things. She steals eggs, which I don't know how Pandora's going to eat in solitary confinement. Raw which eggs. Are raw, raw and uncooked. She puts a celery stalk in her mouth, so she's like climbing around with a celery stalk. So she, she gives these, this food to Pandora, uh, who's still in solitary confinement, when the wardens count the girls, or the guards count the girls, they look for Belle, they notice somebody's missing, and they find her in uh, a bathroom stall, and she just goes, just one of those mornings. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Only in a women's in prison film. Right. And then in the following scene, uh, Maggie, Juanita Brown, is in the kitchen peeling potatoes, um, and she, she, they, she finds a bug in the food and then she throws it onto a guard's shoe. No, no, no. What happened was the guard was, was, was toying with Juanita Brown. And so she, she takes salt. She pours it in this rice pot, this like big boiling pot of rice. Mm-hmm. And Juanita Brown gives her attitude. And then the guard finds a cockroach and drops it in, right? Yeah. And then Juanita Brown goes back in, scoops it out, and throws it on the guard's shoe. Got it. Okay. I was writing so fervently during this movie. I thought this was <laughs> going to be a really easy watch because it's only, it, you know, comes in under an hour and a half. But it's so, so heavy and nuanced that it just took me forever <laughs> to write down what was going on. Um so she ends up with the cockroach on her shoe. This turns into a fight, um, a physical fight. So then Jacqueline from across the room throws a can at the guard's head. The guard is knocked out. The guard tries to fire at her. Remember that? There was like yes. a gunshot. And then they and then they throw the can and then they go and they grab the gun. That's right. And it's like a possible escape. Yes. All of this over a cockroach. All of this over a cockroach. I mean, it was also a great diversion to have an escape. Yes. yes. So there's also a little old lady who, like, is grabbed by by um, 
Maggie Juanita Brown. The kitchen matron. The kitchen matron, that's right. <laughs> so she grabs the kitchen matron and then the another woman, and they head for the armory. Yeah. Um, but they're caught. Well, the, the accomplice in this, who, as a character, we never know, she's shot to death. The one with the hatchet. The one with the hatchet. <laughs> Let's call her hatchet. Um, Why are you being hatchet, hatchet? And because of this whole kerfluffle, let's say, Jacqueline and Maggie are sent to behavioral correction. And we find Oof. out what corrective physical therapy is. It's where Dr. Randolph, the mustachioed doctor, um, gives them electroshock therapy vaginally? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's vaginally. That's, that's what was implied. Right. Right. I mean, uh, he's a sick doctor. Yeah, it's it's troubling stuff. Um, so back in the cell, Maggie therefore says she's going to get revenge on him. Um, meanwhile, Belle is comforting Jacqueline, saying, you know, everything's going to be okay. Um, we cut back to Pandora in solitary confinement, eating her cheese, and that was given to her by Belle and reading a book, and then we had a Barilla Pasta commercial. <laughs> <laughs> So, the next scene, Maggie and Jacqueline find out they're being sent to corrective physical therapy again. And um, this time, Belle tries to get food for Pandora and is caught by the kitchen matron. That's right. She tries to silence her, but instead knocks out her dentures. <laughs> and then the following scene, we find out she killed her. But she, like, she the kitchen matron had this, like, a moment where she's, yeah. like... Something happened, and right, the the teeth fell out, probably knocked knocked out by um, by Bell, right, and it's like she has like a heart attack or something. Right, it's very unclear. It wasn't that shocking. No, it looks like she just got her mouth covered and she died. <laughs> <laughs> so then the guards drag Bell away, kicking and screaming, as the other women are sent to agricultural therapy. Um, so this is where Maggie and Jacqueline pull off their big plan because they decide they're not being sent back to corrective physical therapy. Um, one woman with Maggie pretends to convulse, I think. She, like, falls off the ladder while they're picking apples from a tree or something. And her and Maggie use this as a chance to escape, but then the other woman is shot. We don't find out who the other woman is, why she agreed to this whole plan. We have Question no idea. marks over my head. Um, so then Maggie steals a truck and grabs Jacqueline That's from right. this whole, you know, this whole scene created a diversion. They end up being chased. Um, they steal the truck. They drive out of the agricultural therapy place. Um, they end up at a gas station. Um, the truck is broken down. Some guy's trying to fix it. A cop pulls up. They're really nervous. Uh, the cop is just there to use the bathroom, so then they steal the cop car. He says, where's your John? <laughs> and the gas attendant says, follow your snout. <laughs> I love that line. I wish we lived in a world where people talked to each other that way. They must have talked to each other that way in the 70s. That's the impression I'm getting. <laughs> Um, the cop comes out of the bathroom, is of course upset when he realizes the car is missing. He's so upset he starts crying. Yes. <laughs> right? He throws down his hat, 
And then he goes, <laughs> I mean, it was that actor's one scene. He really had to give it his all. Yeah, he really did. Um, so then we cut to Belle with the mustache of Doctor, and he she is being given an injection. Um, so that starts the whole, you know, the Doctor's kind of raping and abusing Belle storyline. Um, Maggie and Jacqueline end up pulling over a family and steal their car. And there's some really weird banjo music playing over this scene. Yeah. Yeah, the music is so weird. and Like, wonderfully weird in the movie. Wonderfully weird. Yeah. But every time they cut to a different family member's face, like, they cut to the dad's face, the mom's face, the boy's face, and the dog's face, and it's just like, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> it's weird stuff. So they steal the red the red um, station wagon from the family. Um, cut to the Academy of Sexual Satisfaction, Oof. where there is private female wrestling. And we find out Maggie's friend, Crazy Alice, works there. I love this scene. <laughs> give, us, give us a little, uh, color the scene for us, Chris. Well, there's a pan through the Academy of like just rooms that are curtain with curtain doors and you hear a lot of sexual sounds finally we get into the cell where crazy alice is the bed the mattress is on the floor she's with the man in his whitey tidies and they're quote-unquote wrestling <laughs> unclear <laughs> also she's not topless which there's so many no. so much toplessness in this movie you would think that at the academy of sexual satisfaction there would be a little more skin Right. But, I mean, there was a lot of skin from the man. Oh, true. But not of the woman. Very true. Um, so Jacqueline is there. She just wants to use the phone. She essentially finds out that her, like, friends' accomplices have been caught or are dead. Um, and then the guy who is wrestling with Crazy Alice turns out to be a cop. Um, so they he's going for them, and they attack him and knock him out, essentially. Yes. I hate to interject, but right before that, right before the cop comes in, I guess Maggie, Juanita Brown's talking to Crazy Alice and says, like, how did you end up in this joint? And Crazy Alice says, I got laid off at the plant. What are you going to do? <laughs> I think Loki, Crazy Alice, might be my favorite character oh, in she, this movie. Yes, she's great. She's really good. Played by Crystal Sinclair. <laughs> Um, so it turns out that Kristen the, Sinclair. that the guy that was wrestling was a cop, yes. right? So they knock him out. They run away. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to cut a little bit less between the two things. I'm going to focus in on the plot with Maggie, Jacqueline and Alice. So they're bathing. Alice is in the bathtub bathing. Um, and then the three of them are talking, and then j they just decide that they need to get some money. Right. So. Would you like to make some money? <laughs> it could be illegal. <laughs> so they, they cut to them at a currency exchange that is being held up by men in Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck masks. I loved that. It was, it, it was very cute. The masks were very cute and very, very 70s, very like, I'm going to wear a mask of Richard Nixon to hold up a bank. This was the Nixon era after all. That's right. Um, we saw a picture of him in Barbara Steele's office. Did you see that? Yes, absolutely. Loved it. 
Um, I did not really understand the workings of this bank heist. Yeah, it's unclear. It was very, <laughs> it was very confusing for me. I obviously had a hard time keeping up with my notes, and I, I didn't figure out the logistics of this plan. But they get some money. Yes, they do. They, they, they take it. They, they get some money in that big giant gold box that they brought into the money exchange. Yes. Right. <laughs> Which was carrying like some sort of giant rifle originally. Absolutely. <laughs> um. So then in the next scene, the three women are talking about what their next plan of action is going to be. And this is the weirdest set in the movie. They are in some sort of garage covered in those long balloons that clowns use to make balloon animals. Just the walls are covered in these balloons. And Crazy Alice is pumping iron. (laughs) That scene was so weird. So strange. And then they all decide to get revenge on the prison system. Um, I don't, we don't, we aren't clear of why Crazy Alice dis, well, is part of this, um, but she's crazy. I mean, I would listen to Crazy Alice. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so the three women decide to get revenge against the prison. Meanwhile, um, we have the whole storyline with Belle and the doctor. Um, the woman, Lavelle, played by Rainbow, is uh, working in the doctor's office. And essentially, she um, is looking through the keyhole and sees that the doctor is giving Belle injections. He, he starts groping her a little bit. He kisses her a little bit. Um, he undresses her, starts taking pictures. Malpractice. It's nasty stuff. Um, And then he's taking a lot of Polaroids. He kind of starts raping her and starts crying. Um, So very disturbing stuff. Um, She ends up telling Pandora that the mustache doctor is raping Belle. Um, And we find out that the plan is that the doctor is going to lobotomize Belle. Mm. So we're back with the three women. Um, they hold up the prison truck with Bernice, the the guard. Um, she is a rotund woman. This is played for a comedy. Um, the actress's name is Mickey Fox. <laughs> which is amazing. Yes. <laughs> um, they let out the other women who are in this truck, and then they steal the truck. They all look fabulous at this point, by the way. Oh, yes. Juanita Brown is rocking this gorgeous afro. She has this orange turtleneck and hoop earrings. I love that look. Yeah. Erica Gavin is wearing, like, a denim newsboy cap. Yeah. <laughs> just just uh, really great um, wardrobe choices at this point of the movie. Um, so then we cut to Pandora, and then she cuts her hand to be sent to the doctor's office. Um, she, of course, just uses this to pull a knife on the doctor. Um, and just about that time, the warden finds them and the three women, Jacqueline, Maggie, and Crazy Alice, end up in the room. So we basically have all of our main characters in the same room together. Um, Belle comes to Lavelle, a.k.a. Rainbow, shows the warden the pictures he took of Belle, the doctor took of Belle. Um, at this point, the main characters all escape from the prison with the warden, the doctor, and Bernice all in tow with tape over their mouths. Um, they're making their escape from the prison. 
the guards shoot up the car. Luckily, somehow only the villains of the movie get murdered. Which I love. Yeah. It's very satisfying. I mean, it's just like a happy Hollywood ending. Yeah. Um, and then all, all, all of our leads, all of the women who have been done wrong by the system end up escaping. Um, and it's pretty much happily ever after, after that. I mean, it's like Thelma and Louise, but they don't kill themselves in the end. Yes. My one, I love 70s movies so much, but my one um, problem with them is that they always end up like right when the lead character escapes out of their situation. There's like, it always ends right at, there's no, there's no epilogue. No, no. Well, you're, you're left to infer that they all lived happily ever after. True. Right? And it's in my own imagination how that, that looks. Yeah. Or maybe they just went off to go make some money <laughs> illegally. <laughs> they, I was going to say I would love a sequel. Apparently there was a sequel in 1994, but none of the same characters were involved, so. I mean, it sounds, it sounds worth watching. Maybe not for this podcast, or maybe for this maybe podcast. It's for this, maybe we'll get around to it. <laughs> All right, so that was the plot of Caged Heat. Now it's time for our final camp analysis. This is the portion of the show where we analyze the film Fort's camp value by answering the three fundamental questions of our podcast. So number one, is this movie campy? Christophe? I would say yes. I would agree with you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) What makes this movie campy? Mmm. Mmm. I would say, you know, some of the dialogue is lightly campy, but it's not really the dialogue. Yes. It's, it's like those moments that are just sort of unwritten, that are unpolished, but yet done so seriously. Yes. Right? Um, that, that just sort of, for me, as a lover of camp, obviously, they just sort of draw me in. Um, I would say Juanita Brown, for me, is campy. Um, she's giving it her best, God bless her, but, you know, she just can't act. No. But it's so great to watch. But it's so great to watch. (laughs) You're hanging on her every word. Yes. So bad acting, always a sign of a great camp film. Um, The music. The music was fantastic. The wardrobe was fantastic. Yes. Some of the editing choices, like the banjo music and the opening credit treatment, title treatment were really great. Um, Bernice? Bernice. Bernice as a character? (laughs) Come on. Bernice as a character. I would also say that just excessive skin, like, it's that exploitation. So this is a sexploitation film. Um, It's a woman in prison film, which is its own thing. Yeah. But I think that falls under the sexploitation umbrella, if you will. Yes. Although it's not too deep into the sexploitation. No. But, but it's it, still sexy. It definitely sex uses cells. boobs to titillate the audience. Yeah. And I think that it, oh, when that is overdone, there's a comedic effect to it. So wait, are you calling Juanita Brown's nipples campy? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> she is campy from tits to tush, Chris. <laughs> Uh, I'm so glad that you can appreciate Juanita Brown because I have always felt whenever I watch Foxy Brown and when I the last time I saw this was 10 years ago 
I, I just became obsessed. I know really nothing about Juanita Brown other than she's in these two films. She's like in a few other films that I've never seen, but but it's just, it's great to see someone else appreciate her. Yeah. I think that this podcast is slowly just going to turn into us praising the like un- unsung actresses of 1970s B movies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I think we identified a number of camp tropes in this movie. Um, so let's discuss how loose was the narrative. This is done on a scale of one to five fingers, also known as a fist. Hmm. In my opinion, I mean, it's kind of difficult to track like what's happening and some things are sort of loosely based. I would give this four fingers. Okay. I mean, you were lost. I was lost. <laughs> and I I get lost easily with movies, which giving myself the um, challenge of keeping up with the plot of a movie maybe wasn't the smartest idea. But yeah, let's give it, I would say four. I think four is, is fair, especially with the dream sequences, were, which oh. were in itself. Confusing dream sequences are always very campy and make a movie, make the narrative of a film very loose. Yeah. Yeah. Especially considering, like, we didn't know what the, what, how the bank heist, heist worked. No. Uh, also, like, that, the, the surgical scenes, like, what exactly was he going to do? We have no idea. They kept cutting between the surgical scenes and the bank heist. That was extremely confusing. Right? And you know what's funny? The, the description, the synopsis we read at the top said that the warden, you know, it was the warden who was malicious and evil. If anything, the warden was kind of a bitch, but she was really just letting the doctor do whatever he wanted and not yeah. stopping him. I think the doctor was the real villain of the movie. That's right. She was just kind of not, not doing the right thing. She was complacent. Complacent. That's right. All right. So before we wrap up, Let's talk about what camp things we're enjoying outside of this podcast Mm. in a segment called Loose Recommendations. I love a good Loose Recommendation. So, um, with, we're in November right now, and the new Charlie's Angels movie came out sometime in November. I wanted to recommend my favorite, all-time favorite episode of Charlie's Angels, which is titled Pretty Angels All in a Row. It is the fifth episode of, I believe, the second season. And it is probably what I would recommend is like the quintessential campy Charlie's Angels episode. They are in an all, they're in a female um, beauty pageant called the Miss, the, the Chrysanthemum Festival Pageant. Mm. Um, and it is just very ridiculous. So if, you know, you're, you have Charlie's Angels fever, I suggest checking that one out. There's also a very iconic Woman in Prison episode called Angels in Chains, which you can... That'll be the next episode you queue up. I mean, I think we need to be watching some Charlie's Angels. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Chris, do you have a recommendation? Uh, yes. I was thinking about this, and over the past few weeks, I've become really obsessed with the harpsichord. Ooh. <laughs> and it doesn't sound campy, but because it sounds very classical, but in actuality, I think the harpsichord is extremely campy. I would agree. Because it's, it's inherently silly. It's silly, it's tinny, it's 
like baroque and like just ornate and just over the top. And lately I've I've been um listening to some pop songs from like the 60s, 70s that incorporate the harpsichord. And I just like I'm obsessed. And also I discovered there's this other instru- instrument called the clavichord, which was used a lot in disco, which I always thought whenever I heard that in disco songs that it was the harpsichord, but it's actually the clavichord. And okay. I'm I'm just so intrigued by a chord. Yes, a harpsichord, a clavichord. I mean, these are instruments that make their themselves seen and heard. I mean, really heard, but seen when they're in present also. Yes. Just like a good, you know, B-movie actress. Yes. Choose the scenery. Yes. All right. Well, I think that's it for today. Um, before we go any further, I would like to thank Ben Brucker for doing the music for our podcast, our brilliant opening and closing closing theme songs um so thank you to ben you can um google him if you want more information um my name is christoph pakula you can find me on my socials at kpakula that's at k-p-a-k-u-l-a and i'm chris lane and you can find me on socials at topher lane that's t-o-p-h-e-r-l-a-n-e and our podcast's Instagram account is at Loose Narrative Podcast. Um, please subscribe to our podcast, uh, leave a rating, um, tell your friends about it. We would love to get the word out there. So until next time. Can't wait till next time. Yeah. Um, have a good one, guys. Bye. Bye.